So the question is, what stories get told when you're not around? What do people say? What What's the stuff they're chatting about to each other? What's the news on the grapevine? What's the water cooler talk? Because that's really the heart of your culture. And that's the stuff that people stop telling you when you're the senior leader because they don't want you to know, right? They're worried about what you'll do if you find out that kind of stuff, right? So you need mechanisms to know what's what's the stuff going around in your organization and what stories do you want to tell, right? Because mm-hmm. so, you can create stories in an organization. You mm-hmm. have to be intentional about it. But what's the stories that you want people to be sharing? And if they, you find that people are sharing stuff that isn't the tone of voice you want, how do you adjust that? Welcome to the Unlocking Your People podcast. We believe that successful businesses run on people and relationships. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. This show is dedicated to business owners and team builders that are looking to get the best out of their people and workforce. Each episode will be a strategy, a message, and even tips and tricks to help you create and cultivate a passionate workforce for your organization. Your host has spent her career helping companies and leaders handle the tough people stuff at work and helping people work better together so they can increase their impact and their results. CEO of E3 Consulting, Jess Chapman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. In this particular episode in the series, we're going to go with that Q&A format again. So I'm joined by the fabulous Kendra Lane, who is going to play host today and ask me some questions that either she's been asked or have come in to me through our various channels over the last couple of weeks. And we'll talk through those questions and see what we make. And hopefully they are the types of questions that you also have in your own head and you'll get some great tips on unlocking your people. back everybody um we are doing another episode with the q a staff format so i'm thrilled to welcome back kendra lane who is my question master and as per the last time we did this kind of format episode um we've gathered up the questions that have come through on social media things that have been raised in sessions that we've done uh, things that the participants have asked from our kind of virtual programs and kendra's going to fire them at me and we're going to just talk through them so we can talk about some of this real stuff in real life, right? It's it's one thing to hear about the frameworks or listen to a solo episode and, and kind of understand the theory. It's quite another to start thinking about what does that mean in a particular situation. So that's that's the plan. So Kendra, go on. Oh, welcome back. Thanks. Great. Happy to be here, Jess. And uh, over to you and you can fire away and pepper me with whatever's come through this week. Sure. Great. So this one is certainly one that I think we've all heard a lot of um, in the past, what will be 11 months now, but it's a, it's a good one, I think, to get your input on. So as a result of COVID, uh, we've moved our whole team to remote working. We may come back to the office in shifts, but it's likely we will stay remote now for at least um, the foreseeable future. How do we maintain our culture and sense of team when everyone works away? Oh, great question. Um, they're two slightly different things for me. So how do we maintain our culture is a question for me. And then how do we maintain a sense of team? That's a, a, a different question. So maybe I'll, I'll take them as a two-parter. So um, one of the wonderful things that's come out of COVID is us getting to grips with finding flexibility, right, and allowing people to do things that they didn't do before. And, and remote working is one of the things that a lot of organizations have been challenged to do and I think quite successfully riven to the challenge. So, so awesome. 
It does, though, pose some challenges. So we are human beings built on connections. And so much of what we do relies on us seeing each other, reading each other, you know, picking up on things through osmosis, being in the office, that kind of thing. So when you don't have that, when that is taken away, you have to be much more concerted about your approach. And it doesn't matter if you're working remotely because of COVID or for whatever other reason, you have to be quite emphatic, considered, um, pointed about making things happen. So think about the things that you don't get anymore when you're kind of working remotely. You don't get to see the frame of mind that people in are in, the mood that they're in day to day, right? So then when you connect with somebody, it's a little better if you're on video conferencing than you are over the phone, but you don't have the backstory to somebody's day. So you don't know why they're in the frame of mind they are. And so we have to be a bit more intentional about sharing some of those pieces for people to have context for what kind of frame of mind we might be in. Particularly if you're a leader, because people are going to be paying attention to how you show up. You know, if you had a bad day, People aren't around to see it, right? They don't know that you had a, you know, you didn't have a bad drive into the office. They don't know any of that, right? They don't see that stuff. So you have to be a bit more intentional about sharing that. We also don't have that osmosis piece. And you think about being in the workplace, you hear so much about what's going on in the organization from the conversations you overhear, from the people you pass in the corridor, from seeing people all on the way to a meeting together. We don't have that in a remote environment. So we do have to be more intentional again about sharing, sharing what's going on, sharing news, sharing personal things that are happening, like wins and successes. I don't mean personal life per se, but, you know, what's happening for you in the run of a day, giving people that insight that they would get if they were next to you, but they're not going to get because you're all kind of working remotely. So a lot of it for me comes down to being intentional about those things. The sense of team and even the culture bit is a little bit interesting. I've seen a lot of people over the course of COVID create events, right? So wellness challenges or kind of virtual social events and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's that's good and that's useful and that creates a, an opportunity for conversation and connection and outlet. It doesn't replace the need for ongoing day-to-day interaction, right? So if you're not connecting with people all day, but then you have a wellness challenge, you're still going to feel the, uh, something of a void in the day-to-day connections that you had. So leveraging tools that allow you to have commi- re- more kind of quick communication. So some of the tools like Slack, which I think you guys use, the instant messenger platforms, having mechanisms where, you know, I've got one client where they even just have a period of time in the run of a day where everybody puts their camera on. Right? So they're not working together. They just want to mimic kind of being around and being able to mm-hmm. ask each other things to have that sense of connection. So it, for me, you know, there's lots of different ways you could do it. And there's lots of stuff out there right now about how to make remote work. But a lot of it is coming back to being really intentional about making those connections and sharing with people. And even pre-COVID, when I had a team that was across Canada, you know, the people that I had who were working out in Alberta and out in BC, I would call them on my way home just to chat, right? So it wasn't a work check-in conversation. It was a, if I don't make time to have a connection with you, I don't see you on the way. We can't just step out for lunch together. We can't just, you know, grab five minutes at the end of the meeting. I'm not going to know what's going on with you and you're not going to know what's going on with me. So I'm going to take my 20-minute drive home 
just to make a point of phoning it to see how you are and what's going on. And I think it's that level of intention that we have to bring to a remote working environment. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I had conversations with, with colleagues and even friends, you know, early on. And it was funny because the realization we had was that, you know, we go through an entire work day and say, well, I haven't laughed today. And, you know, it's funny because I, I think we take for granted, you know, those, to your point, those personal interactions throughout the day in the office that really add a lot and give people a lot of energy, I think, throughout the day. And so we hear a lot about like Zoom fatigue and, you know, video conferencing for fatigue. And I think it's, you know, partly because these are structured meetings. So, you know, when we were in structured meetings in, in the office environment, you know, there's a certain expectation, you're conducting yourself a certain way. And then it's those in between times that you would, you know, crack a joke, have a laugh. And so when certainly early on, when we were, everyone was, uh, you know, attending those meetings virtually, that was the only interaction we were having with people with these very structured, very formal interactions. And then otherwise you were essentially on your own. And so, yeah, I think it was important to kind of try to create those uh, scenarios where it it was for work, but not about work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that applies to all, all kinds of other things. I mean, I think it's really interesting how many people have commented to me in the last six months that they're now more back-to-back than they ever were, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're not in the office anymore and yet they're actually, their meetings are worse now because they are booking a one-hour Zoom meeting followed by a one-hour Zoom meeting followed by a one-hour Zoom meeting, never leaving their desk. That wouldn't happen in an office. You'd get up and go to the kitchen. You'd get up and go to the washroom. You'd wander past the desk and in that conversation, you'd bump into somebody and you'd have two minutes of conversation. Those are the moments in which we create relationships. We don't create relationships sitting in a meeting talking about the project's agenda and who does what task. We create relationships in the moments. And when we work remotely, we have to work at creating those moments. So I think that's a totally valid point. And I think you guys have done a particularly good job at making a social sense out of the remoteness. Like you were a remote team long before COVID mm-hmm. hit, right? You were remote w- way before that was a requirement. And the thinking that you did and the planning that you did about what that would mean and helping ensure that anybody who was remote, you know, you have the added challenge back then that some people were remote and some people weren't. Sometimes it's actually easier if everybody is remote. When you've got some people in the office and some people on camera, that can be even more challenging for the people on camera. So those parameters that you put in place around the rules of how the meeting works and the time before and after and staying on and having a chat and sitting and having the sandwich lunch with people before the meeting starts, I think those went a long way to creating those moments. Great. Lots, I think there's going to be, um, you know, lots to learn, hopefully, as we move past this COVID area, era, yeah. but, um, you know, I think there's there's going to be practices that we keep in place. And I think that we've learned a lot about, about workplaces and, you know, what's important and what isn't to us uh, culturally and socially as well. I hope that we we managed to marry. So one, I hope that this becomes something we talk about history soon rather than current affairs. Mm -hmm. But I hope that we learn to marry things up. So there are some amazing benefits of having office space and there are some amazing benefits in giving people the flexibility to work remotely. And for me, it doesn't need to be an either or scenario in a lot of cases. I appreciate there's certain work environments out there where you you have to be on site or whatever else. But for many people 
you know, I, I don't think we have to choose one end of the scale or the other. Okay. So we um, are a small team that is growing very quickly. What should we pay attention to in terms of the people side of things? It, does, it doesn't say what size small is by any chance? No, no, okay. just uh, they're growing very quickly as an organization. Okay. So uh, there's different views on what, you know, you talk about SMEs, there's different views on what we mean by small. And there's certainly, for me, differences in, you know, if you're less than 10 people, that's different to if you're less than 50, which is different if you're less than 100. So there's certainly different things that we would pay attention to based on the size of your workforce. And we actually do that. So when we do growth planning with organizations, we look at the kind of step stage you're at in your growth. So that's something to pay attention to. If I kind of take it generically, there's probably the brain likes three. So I like to give like the top three things for things. Um, The first thing I'd say is communication. You know, when you're an organization, when you start off, when there's a handful of you, you can get everybody in a room, you can have a town hall really easily. In fact, you don't probably even need to have one because you see everybody all the time, right? Everybody knows what's going on because they're in all the meetings because it's only like six years. And everybody has access to the CEO or owner of the company or the organization, whoever runs the organization. It's all really easy and transparent. And then you add folks. And as you get bigger, you don't necessarily know everybody is anymore. You maybe didn't recruit those people. You maybe don't, they don't see you in the same way. You don't go all to all the meetings anymore, which is the wonderful part growing, but makes communication more challenging. So we need to start putting in place more clear and formal mechanisms for cascade, right? So when does the organization hear from the most senior person? When, you know, how do we communicate decisions that get made? How do policies and practices get shared, right? All that type of stuff needs to be more formal than it was before. The rumor mill will always be the most effective channel in any organization. So we (laughs) do what we can to put some, you know, parameters around that so we can at least tackle it when it's not right. So communication would be the first thing. The second thing I'd say would be development. So, you know, the the idea of the Peter Principle. So the Peter Principle is the idea that we sometimes promote people beyond the level of which they're capable. Now, I like to work on the premise that anybody can learn to do anything. So neuroplasticity in the brain, we can build new connections all the time. But if you are in a fast-growing organization, it is not unusual for the demands of your job to outpace the skill that you are developing, right? Like very often two smaller organizations don't have the same budget for training and development. They don't have the same resources to be able to coach people and put people on training, all that kind of thing. And so, you know, it's not unusual to watch people um, struggle or find themselves struggling in the same role or struggling with expectations. So it's not unusual for people to think that they're going to make a step change, right? So I come into the organization and let's say I'm the IT manager. And in my head, you know, I'm going to do that job for a certain number of years, um, maybe even months, depending on my generation, and expect to become IT director. But in a growing organization, that job, the job of manager is going to change so vastly in that period of time that they may just need to keep up with that change in the job. So there might not be a new title at the end of it or a career enhancement piece because the job looks nothing like it did two years ago. So the IT manager that needed to show up for five people is completely different than the IT manager that needs to show up for 50, even though they're still the IT manager. 
And it's quite difficult for people to wrap their head around that. And they think that because that job has changed, that should warrant the promotion and the pay and everything. And it should be a step change when it's not necessarily right for the organization. So we need to educate people around that. We need to have the the transparent conversations about the challenges of growth. And we need to talk to people about what working in a high growth organization looks like and the stretch they're going to face because they might find that there's a place where the stretch is not one they can achieve in the speed that the organization needs and you're going to bring somebody else in. So better that we have those conversations early than they get surprised when you bring in an IT director or a CTO and they thought it was going to be them. Right? So that, that one I see quite often. And the third one, if I was going to pick one, would probably be people practices. So, you know, back to similar to communication, when you're 10, when you're 20, you're touching everything, right? Like there's a chance for you to intercede and stuff, make sure everything's right. You're in the recruitment processes. You can kind of oversee how everything is done. You know it makes sense for your organization. It's easy. Once you get to 50 and above 50, there needs to be more standards to what you do. There needs to be more rigor to your processes. We need to make sure that what we're doing is fair and, and equitable and transparent for a couple of reasons. One, because the CEO or the most senior person is not going to be able to touch anything anymore, right? So the the ensuring it's done the right way is not necessarily going to be a hands-on thing anymore. So we need a process to ensure that often. And because we don't necessarily have the same visibility of people, so if I'm an employee who works with six other people, I know those people. I know what's going on with them. And I kind of know why all the things are happening in the organization that are happening. Once we get to 50, I don't have the same visibility. So then I start questioning things. Well, how come Bob got that job? And how come Sally got that? And I heard this on the rumor mill and I heard that on the grapevine. So, you know, we need to have processes for how we develop people and who goes to conferences and who gets a promotion and who doesn't and how we handle pay and all of those things so that people understand that we're being fair and it's not a first come, first served or, you know, a favoritism piece. So, you know, starting to put some planning foresight you know formality around some of those people practices um can stop you hitting road bumps that you really just don't need to hit that would be my big three are you enjoying the show this far we know the people stuff in your business can be tricky to nail down each scenario feels unique on its own we go through so many resources and tools with the podcast it's tough to keep up we get it So what if you had all the right tools and training to help your organization be successful every single day with your people and the culture you're building? Jess and her team have created a range of training programs that can help you with all the different challenges of unlocking your people. For the challenges of leadership, there are two core programs, Elevate for supervisors and Propel for more senior leaders. Both programs dig deeper into the concepts, frameworks, and skills that you've heard throughout this podcast series. From building trust and empathy, to having those tougher people conversations, to managing conflict, and so much more. To see which program makes more sense for you, please go to www.e3.ca slash training for the full breakdown. The best part? All the programs are fully virtual and modular, meaning you can do them anywhere, anytime, and fit them into your busy schedule. And if you're facing particular challenges in building your team, managing change, or managing performance, we have online toolkits that can solve your unique challenges today. Once again, www.e3.ca training. Now, back to the show. 
great. And I think um, just both of us have kind of experienced this and heard this before. But the other thing that I, I find comes up in a r- period of rapid growth is, you know, we want to maintain our culture or, or how do we, what do we do so that we don't lose the culture we've established through this period of rapid growth? What would you have to, to comment on that? We could probably do the whole very long episode on the topic of culture. Uh, there's, there's lots of things. And it may depend a little bit on your organization and what what you're most worried about. I mean, there are there are certain levers that we look at when it comes to culture, like things that you, you want to dial up or dial down. But if I kind of think about the ones that I think are most prevalent. So the first thing I'd say is, there's probably your lieutenants, there's probably your encoding, and then there's probably your story. So that's probably the three that I pick. So what I mean by lieutenants is who's carrying the flag, right? So again, like a culture often evolves in an organization from the leadership team. I was a lady I used to work with who said, leaders are the custodians of culture. I think it's a brilliant quote and, and very apt. And often culture in organization evolves from the CEO's style and personality and how they like to do things and that permeates its way through. So assuming that that's an intentional culture, that one you've set, not just one that happens to pop up because you are the way you are, which is a totally different question, you need to have other people that can carry the flag, right? As you get bigger, you can't touch every process. You may not be able to hire every person, although I know a lot of senior leaders who stay in recruitment a lot longer than they could to make sure the fit's there. You know, you can't make sure every decision is aligned with strategy and with culture and all that kind of stuff. So you need to make sure that your lieutenants, your next level down leaders carry the flag. And so the fit of those people becomes really key. And when needed, the debate behind closed doors, right? If you need to get on the same page about things, you do so behind closed doors and then they go out and they fly the flag. The second thing that I talked about was encoding. So, you know, we all know those organizations that have the wonderfully lovely graphically designed value statements that they stuck up on the wall, but that if you wander around and ask people on the floor, what does your company stand for? You get the slightly mumbled answer of, you know, something to do with this and loyalty maybe. I don't know, right? So, you know, I don't particularly personally care about you having whizzy value statements. What I care about is if I asked, if I picked a random sample of five people out of your business and said, what's really important here? Like how, how you know, if I want to be successful here, how should I show up? That I get more or less the same answer. Because if I get a different answer, we have a problem somewhere in the way that the culture the culture is. I should hear more or less the same things, possibly even more or less the same language, but certainly more or less the same concepts about what's really important to the organization and how you want to behave to be successful. So whether you, you know, find ways to bring your values to life, and there are lots of ways to make them live beyond what sits on the wall, whether it's about how you talk about culture and values, and you need to bang the drum on that stuff to make it stick, whether it's making sure that your recruitment practices mean you're bringing in people who are culturally aligned, you have to make sure that everybody understands what's most important to the organization from top to bottom. And then people will self-select out, which makes life a lot easier as well. And then the last thing. So when we think about culture, there are lots of levers that you can pull to change and adjust culture, things like the rewards you use and that kind of stuff. But I've always been struck by the quality of stories in an organization. Right back to the early part of my career, I worked in an organization where one of the stories that got told, and I don't mean like 
the CEO stories. I mean the stuff that people kind of whisper about or tell you over a beer, right? One of the stories. A lot of cooler talk. Yeah. yeah, The the thing that got kind of shared amongst us. We were all graduate trainees. And the thing that got shared, one of the stories that got shared about us, with us, was about an individual who had been involved in developing a new product, a product that actually didn't work and that was actually a problem and ended up costing the organization a lot of money. And he got promoted anyway and got into a senior position. And I thought that was really interesting because the story wasn't, oh my God, he made a terrible mistake and he got walked out of the organization and lost his job. The story was he tried something, took a risk, developed a product, it didn't work and still got promoted. And and that fosters a certain attitude that fosters far better than anything you can put on a wall or any like value statement that you could ever write. That tells people what your organization is really like. So the question is, what stories get told when you're not around? What do people say? What What's the stuff they're chatting about to each other? What's the news on the grapevine? What's the water cooler talk? Because that's really the heart of your culture. And that's the stuff that people stop telling you when you're the senior leader because they don't want you to know. Right? They're not worried about what you'll do if you find out that kind of stuff, right? So you need mechanisms to know what's what's the stuff going around in your organization and what stories do you want to tell, right? Because mm-hmm. so, you can create stories in an organization. You mm-hmm. have to be intentional about it. But what's the stories that you want people to be sharing? And if they, you find that people are sharing stuff that isn't the tone of voice you want, how do you adjust that? And Jess, you, you mentioned um, earlier when you were talking about the Peters Principle, maybe for the benefit of listeners, you can talk a little bit more about what that is and how it shows up in organizations. So Peter Principle is a term, and I actually can't remember off the top of my head where it comes from, but it's a term that we use to describe kind of promoting somebody past the point that they can be successful. So, you know, quite often we will see a spark of something in somebody and, you know, give them increased responsibilities or increased autonomy or whatever in an organization to the point that they are actually not able to do that job. We've we've kind of gone past the limits of their current ability. Now, again, I'm a big believer in you know, people can learn to do anything, but it takes time, right? It takes time for people to learn and grow. So you know, it's very easy in organizations, particularly ones that are growing very quickly, um, for us to take a leap, perhaps a bit too fast, right? See a spark of something and go, oh, well, you know, that person handled this situation really well. So clearly they can take on more. Before you jump to that, like back to having more rigor in some of your HR practices, let's actually assess, right? And let's think about the job that they're currently in, where's that going to be in a year's time? And how big is it going to be? And actually, what we're seeing today, is that just the potential they need to keep pace with that job? Or do they actually have more potential to be able to take something bigger on? And not every organization differentiates between performance and potential, but they are two different things, right? Performance is, how am I doing in my current role? And potential is, am I demonstrating enough ability, thinking, skills, et cetera, to take on more responsibility? And because I can perform in this job does not mean I am ready for a bigger job. And certainly in a growing organization, if I do have potential, I might still absorb all that potential as this job evolves with the size of the organization. Does that make more sense? It does. And and I, I can certainly see how that, how you'd be at a bigger risk of sort of 
um, that happening in a period of rapid growth. Because to your point, you know, people are performing well and things are changing so quickly that, you know, we do add, we do keep adding things in in our organization. We refer to them as, as Legos, but you know, um, the more people can build their towers, the more Legos they'll get. And and then, um, it's an interesting concept to think about, you know, having a little bit of insight into, you know, what, what, to your point, what is, what is their performance in, in that role and what is their potential and, and how do we ensure success across the organization by, um, understanding the difference between the two. And not everybody, not everybody really knows what it looks like, right? So there is a inherent status and benefit attached to title, right? So, you know, there are people who are going to aspire to be the director, the, the manager, the director, the VP, the whatever. That doesn't mean they always know what that looks like. And depending on their previous work experience, where they've been, who the role models were, what is needed in your organization might not be the same picture of what they have in their head. So it's really important when we start having those conversations with people or when somebody flags, I'm interested in X, that we're actually not taking that on face value and going, okay, you want to be VP? Sure. Well, what does that mean to you? When you think of VP, what does that position look like? Because it might not be the same picture you have of a VP role in your head and we need to know that sooner rather than later. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably part of, you know, the importance of, of change management as well when we think about, you know, periods of rapid growth and um, the importance of not overlooking it. Yeah. I mean, there's there are a number of what are sometimes lumped into soft skills or skills that I'd have in the work that I do that I think are just basic leadership skills. So facilitation, coaching, change management, like managing resistance in today's world with all the things that are going on, being a non-directive leader, so somebody that can pull out the skills of an individual, not be the one that always gives the answer, to help somebody think through a problem and solve it for themselves, to be able to help somebody understand why they're having difficulty with a new policy or practice and overcome it. Those have started to become fairly fundamental skills to be successful as a leader, but we don't teach them at school. Nobody teaches change management at school. You might do it at university, but you don't do it at school. So, you know, there's no guarantee that somebody ends up in a leadership role and has any of those skill sets. So we need to talk about that. If that's going to happen in your organization, well, let's talk about whether that person has that skill or not. Mm -hmm. Certainly. I think we should, we might have time for one more question. Well, we're at 20, so I think we're probably good for, we're at 28 minutes, so we're probably at time for this particular episode, but if you, how many more have you got? Maybe we should be thinking about planning another one of these. Uh, we do have a few more, and I think they're interesting, so maybe we will follow up. Thank you ever so much for being my question master and for also sharing some of your thoughts and insights. I always enjoy our conversations, so thank you very much for that, Kendra. Thanks, Jess. It was great being here. And if you're listening and any of that was interesting for you, so we do have a number of programs that are entirely virtual that we offer that are a deeper dive into some of the topics that we've talked about here today. So Elevate and Propel are our virtual leadership programs for supervisor and kind of mid-level and junior advanced leaders. And then we have a number of toolkits that are coming online this year in things exactly like we've been talking about. So how do you manage performance? How do you lead change and minimize resistance? Um, And how do you build those high-performing teams when you've got a diverse group of people who might not get on entirely well from the beginning? 
So if that's interesting to you, you can check all of that out at our website, e3online.ca. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Unlocking Your People podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead. Take a screenshot and share this episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when leaders have the right strategies and frameworks to tackle the tough people stuff within their business and organizations. To learn more about how Jess and her team can potentially help your organization unlock the potential in its people, take a look at the options at www.e3.ca. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. Once again, it's www.e3.ca. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.